Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company, a show where we discuss all the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. We talk about politics, religion, and all the other things that truly matter. And now, here's your host, Scott Wingerter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. Today on the show, we have Teresa Strack, who was the director of Montgomery County Right to Life from 2012 to 2019. And in 2019, she became the executive director of Life First, which is a pro-life organization that seeks to change the hearts and minds of people to make abortion and euthanasia unthinkable. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Scott. So, Real quick, just tell me about yourself and tell me about your organization and, and what you guys stand for. Well, Life First is, as you said, um, really um, kind of a testing or attuning to the fundamental issue of our day, which we see as the moral and civic issue of our day, and that is the protection of human life that's really under assault all along the continuum now, mm-hmm. from birth, you know, well, prior to birth with abortion, Uh, The handicapped are very much targeted through genetic testing. And then, of course, euthanasia is spreading throughout our nation, our world. So uh, we're attending to that basically through the only way toward a permanent respect for life, and that is capturing people's hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. Because laws are great, judicial rulings are great, and we celebrate each and every one of those. But the reality is it's attitudes that undergird laws and judicial rulings. Mm And so that's what we're trying to do. And we're doing it through a three-pronged approach, prayer, because in the end, it's God that changes hearts and minds. A lot in the area of education we call inspiration, because we as humans make our decisions with our head and our heart. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, our third prong is direct care, being actually outside the abortion facilities in our area, being there to pray for those folks, and also offer real help and hope directing them to the area of pregnancy care centers. Yeah, and that was my next question. So what other organizations do you work with specifically here in the county to help women? Because that's something that the left tries to, you know, beat us over the head with all the time is, oh, you're going to get rid of abortion, but then you're not really interested in caring for these women that are now going to be stuck with this uh, unwanted pregnancy, uh, blah, 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 blah. What's your answer to that? Uh, I just tell folks that yeah, we have so many resources for folks that are in need of help. And we in the pro-life community, we do work hand in glove with each other. So Life First, I have personal and professional relationships with all the executive directors of the area pregnancy care centers. And, uh, and then, of course, the adoption agencies in our area. And mm-hmm. there's a great ministry that just opened up at the same time that Life First was founded at the end of 2019 called Journey Home. Journey Home is actually a facility that they have an actual home in a neighborhood. It's not an institutional setting. Mm-hmm. And they provide housing for women in crisis pregnancy. Maybe their boyfriend is threatening the woman. If you don't have this abortion, you know, I'm going to kick you out. Maybe their own family is, is, is kind of turning their back on this woman. Mm-hmm. But Journey Home will take that woman in, have a place for her to stay throughout the pregnancy and beyond. And it's unique in that other 
uh, maternity homes that still exist, they'll usually only take the pregnant woman and then, of course, have her for a while after the baby is born. But Journey Home actually has folks that can come with their other children. So that's very unique. So, yes, we work hand in glove with various of the churches. Uh, A lot of the Catholic churches have the Gabriel Project. They'll Mm -hmm. provide all kinds of car seats, formula, clothing, just all kinds of resources. So, yes, we work hand in glove with just a vast variety of resources in our community to get that woman whatever she needs, whether she's going to make a a plan to keep the baby or to make an adoption plan. That's awesome. God bless you guys. That's that's great. So let's just get right down to the brass tacks of, uh, you know, something that everybody's talking about right now. It, it, it's it's God works his magic so, you know, amazingly, right? Uh, we met uh, last weekend and we talked about having you on the show. And this was before the uh, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey uh, case was... Um, decision was leaked uh, at the Supreme Court. And now, of course, this is just perfect timing to talk about all of these issues because it's so relevant. Um, what are your thoughts uh, initially on uh, Justice Alito's uh, leaked um, decision? Well, of course I'm excited about it mm-hmm. because um, it's not the end-all, be-all because we know that as it stands right now with the draft wording, uh, the Supreme Court, you know, is just going to punt it back to the state. So. Right. That, I part, that part is a mistake in my view. So I'm excited that they're hopefully going to maintain the courage to, you know, um, admit that, as he said in the wording, Roe v. Wade was egregiously mm-hmm. judged. Yes. There is no constitutional basis, you know, a right to abortion. So I applaud that part of Alito's comments and Justice Alito's comments. Uh, the thing that, of course, concerns me is the fact that he had wording in the original draft language that I'm hoping that he'll either eliminate or soften, where he said that the uh, Constitution is silent on the issue of abortion mm-hmm. and that it should go back to the legislative bodies. And that, I do believe, is a very... Uh, egregious mistake on their part if that's the word they stay with i agree with you 100 percent on that because here's the thing it's almost like what 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 it really should be in my mind is is completely flipped you know uh you don't have a it's not that you have a right to an abortion uh it's that we have a right to protect life that's the concept uh, you know, when we read in the Declaration of Independence, it says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life. And it goes on to say that, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that governments are instituted among men, driving their just powers from the consent of the governed. For what purpose? To protect the rights of the individual. Um, and so, in my view, I don't understand how we should be kicking this back. This is not something that we should be able to even legislate, uh, e- e- you know, even in the 50 state houses, uh, the idea that, you know, a woman should be able to legally terminate the life that is growing inside of her. Yes, I totally agree. There's a great quote from Thomas Jefferson that I like to remind people of. Yeah. And he said, the care of human life and happiness and not their destruction is the first and only object of good government. Yes. You know, so even though he wasn't talking specifically probably to abortion, there is that principle that, that is the, the purpose of government. 
uh, is to protect and allow folks to have the greatest mm -hmm. opportunity for liberty and happiness. And that starts with the very right to life. That's right. I mean, I, the way I always teach it to my students uh, in, in my history classrooms is, uh, you know, it's a three-legged stool, right? You have life, you have liberty, and you have private property rights, safety, security, happiness, right? If I come by and hack off one of those legs on that stool, the stool falls over. If you, you know, you have all these three fundamental rights, right? But if I murder you, <laughs> you don't have liberty anymore. You don't have private property rights anymore. You're dead. It's gone. It's over. So, you know, fundamentally, life without that right initially, you have none of the other ones. Um, yeah. And we need to protect that. And I believe it's a universal truth, because mm -hmm. even beyond our Christian tradition, yes. there's a great quote from Mahatma Gandhi, since this is a worldwide issue, mm -hmm. that he said, the true measure of any society is how they treat their most vulnerable members. Yes. You know, so uh, it really is the issue that's going to determine our nation's character mm -hmm. and our whole society worldwide. You know, what kind of society are we going to be? Right. Uh, I'm old enough to remember as a Texan, when I was growing up in high school, you know, the high school young men driving onto the school parking lot in their pickup trucks, you know, with a, a rifle, you know, mm -hmm. and the gun rack behind their head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, half of them were probably loaded. Right. <laughs> but they weren't going into their high schools you know, shooting up, you no. know, their fellows, you know, classmates. And it's because there was at least a basic respect for life. Yeah. And so now when people seem to be amazed in these last few short years, we seem to see all of our rights eroding. Mm -hmm. You know, our right to assembly. They use COVID as a cover to take away our rights to free speech and, mm -hmm. you know, assembly and, and religious liberties. I said it's not really surprising because we as a nation did not protect the fundamental right to life. That's it starts right. there. Mm -hmm. No, you're, and you're right. You said a moment ago that it is a universal, of, of a universal nature, and that's what natural law is all about. It's observable universally in nature. There is no society on earth. You know, whether it is in a completely advanced society like, like we have here in America or even, you know, uh, a less advanced society, uh, you know, that they tolerate murder. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it really comes back down to the fundamental question is, you know, laws need to be based on something objective. Mm -hmm. and, and a very good objective criteria is when does life begin? Yes. And of course, when does life begin was what Justice Harry Blackman, he kind of admitted that that is the crux of the argument. Mm -hmm. When he wrote the majority opinion back in 1973 for Roe v. Wade, he specifically stated the justices could not decide when life began. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, it was just a nascent understanding of DNA. But now, of course, we've got another 50 years of scientific understanding. And there's just universal agreement, again, nationwide among geneticists and biologists that life begins at conception. Uh, a unique individual with his own unique and separate DNA from his mother and father is formed at that point. And that's an objective marker. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that we need to get to that point that we recognize personhood, you know, from conception. And therefore, it should be protected. Every life should be, needs to be protected from that point. Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point. I, I agree with you 100%. Let's get into, uh, real quick, uh, uh, some, some more of the the actual decision from Justice Blackman back in 1973. Um, 
this might be a little bit nerdy, but I, I'm going to indulge uh, if you don't mind. Uh, he used the 14th Amendment uh, to justify the the majority decision back in 1973, which, you know, Justice Alito does a very good job tearing apart in his decision. I, I haven't read the entire thing, but I've read enough of it. I've read about half of it. And in that section, he talks about the history behind abortion in common law, uh, in the British system, and then in, you know, going into colonial America and throughout our nation's history. And then he gets to the crux of the matter legally, which was they were trying to use the 14th Amendment, which was really a decision that was made um, to overturn another infamous Supreme Court case. The 14th Amendment was specifically designed to overcome the precedent and the stare decisis of Dred Scott v. Sanford, where they said that black people who were born as a slave were born as property and therefore weren't citizens and didn't have standing to even sue anybody in the United States uh, justice system. Um, And so to use the 14th Amendment uh, to argue for this abortion right, I think, is... um, just silly. Do you have any comments on that? Well, yeah, it's it's really to me so perverse because it's specifically the language says, you know, that we are not going to deny any person right their right to life, liberty, and property. You know, yes. the Declaration has said life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. In the Fourteenth Amendment, life, liberty, and property. Mm-hmm. So again, if persons if personhood starts at conception, then it's very, you know, clear that our government cannot deny the right to life. So that's, again, why I'm a little surprised that Justice Alito did not, you know, as a contextualist, you know, as an originalist, mm-hmm. somebody who looks at the actual wording, you know, of the Constitution, uh, to me it could not be more clear uh, that, the, that not only is the constitution not silent on the issue of the right to life it is that exactly is exactly very opposite it is right. extremely clear yes that the right to life is expressly expressed in the constitution and needs to be protected i'm wondering uh, you know in my head what they're trying to do here like are they op obviously they're not operating from a completely ideological uh, standpoint right uh, there's always you know y- if you're going to have a conversation with anybody, and I have conversations with people all the time, right? <laughs> you know, you have to understand where a person is, right? When you're talking, are you talking from an ideological perspective or are you talking from a, you know, pr- pragmatic perspective, if you will? Um, and I, I think, you know, obviously, as you just pointed out, they're not in this decision really standing on ideological grounds, I don't think. They're maybe going a little bit more pragmatic in their approach, uh, they're overturning Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey and throwing it out and saying that the federal government isn't going to handle this. This needs to be handled at the state level. Um, but it makes me wonder if maybe they're doing that because they, they're looking at it and they're like, well, I know Texas, I know Tennessee, I know that all the, these red states are going to ban abortion. But then California and Massachusetts and New York and Maryland and Illinois, what I like to refer to as the Democratic People's Republics, <laughs> right? they're all going to, you know, I think, unfortunately, 
boost and strengthen abortion uh, as an institution here in America. What are your thoughts? Well, that's my fear because you're right again that they're not really reading the actual text or following the actual text you know, of our founding documents, the mm-hmm. Declaration and then the Constitution, which, again, expressly very clearly mm-hmm. states there's a right to life. And by sending it back to the states where they can, again, restrict the, that right to life, uh, it didn't work in our past, you know, with slavery. Mm-hmm. The Missouri Compromise did not work. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's a fundamental right, it needs to be universally protected. So I am praying that, again, that Justice Alito, if he does write the majority opinion, will soften or eliminate that language. Mm-hmm. And then even if he doesn't, that maybe in a concurring opinion, yes, some of the more conservative justices, even so, either Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, or Justice Thomas, yes, will then expressly state that you know the Constitution is very clear; it expressly uh, protects a right to life, and at least start that conversation to a greater degree across our nation. It's just too easy for people, like you said, just to uh, cross state lines mm-hmm. and still take that child's life. That's right. And there's already in place, you know, here in Texas via the heartbeat bill, mm-hmm. the abortion industry, which is very cognizant of their bottom line, put, you know, uh, methods in place to already start to funnel folks from Texas to neighboring states. So although the heartbeat bill has saved a lot of lives, it did not have the impact we'd hoped because the abortion industry is very nimble mm-hmm. and they want to keep that profit stream going and they adjusted to the law very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it bothers me that this decision is coming down like this and it's getting kicked back to the States. Uh, But I'm hopeful, like you just said, that maybe down the road that will give people the standing to sue States like California or Maryland or Massachusetts that are going to perhaps strengthen these rights. And then this decision can be brought back before the court again. And it's almost like it's reset at that point is, is sort of my thinking of maybe what they're up to. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned a moment ago an interesting parallel, and I, I've I've oftentimes used this parallel myself. Uh, slavery, mm-hmm. slavery in our history, uh, traditionally when people write about it, it was always known as the quote peculiar institution. And what made slavery this peculiar institution was the fact that you had a an example of positive law, right, where you know, the power of the legislature is given from the people, you know, to the legislature to make law. So that's what positive law is, right? You have an example of positive law, which if there's a whole totem pole or hierarchy of law is at the very bottom of law, right? And at the very top, you have natural law, which is universal in nature. It's God's moral law, right? Um, And generally speaking, uh, Positive law is never to trump natural law, but that's the peculiar institution. That's what it does. You have this institution where, you know, in, in slavery, where I get to own another human being and therefore I get to control their property. I get to control their liberty and, you know, by proxy, then I control their life. Uh, and that's strange. It's peculiar. I th- think that abortion is very much the same. It is the uh, what I call oftentimes the new peculiar institution where the government is empowering people to basically be able to murder 
the most defenseless uh, people among us, the people that don't even have a voice yet. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's always how the greatest oppressions happen. You first have to dehumanize Mm -hmm. that particular segment of the population. So, you know, it was even legally, you know, stated that uh, during the time of slavery, our black brothers and sisters were just three-fifths of a human. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was actually expressly written. Uh, dehumanized them in that way. And of course, Hitler did that again with the Jews, Mm -hmm. dehumanized them. And so now, you know, currently we're dehumanizing the unborn. Um, And so, yes, I totally agree with you. Any genocide uh, has always started in that way. Mm -hmm. Dehumanize the subject of your genocide. Would you describe the amount of abortions that have taken place in America since 1973 as a genocide? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's 62 million lives lost just Mm -hmm. in the United States alone. Uh, Worldwide, I think there's like 52 million uh, every single year. Oh, my. Human beings, you know, eliminated. Mm. So there's really never been a larger genocide uh, than abortion. That is staggering to think about. Yes. Um, last weekend at the uh, dinner, the gala, um, uh, something that uh, the guest speaker uh, spoke about, Miss um, Helen, she said that there are only three other countries uh, that have similar abortion laws as the United States. Uh, would you like to opine on that? Yeah, it really puts us in very bad company. Uh, Most of the European nations uh, have abortion restrictions passed around 14, 15, 16 weeks. Mm -hmm. But the United States, unfortunately, along with North Korea, China, uh, and there is another nation, you know, we really allow it all the way through, you know, (laughs) gestation. So it's really uh, just... uh, a pox upon us when we call ourselves a conservative nation mm-hmm. that we actually have the most latitude of taking a innocent human life. But the sad part is I don't really want to compare ourselves, you know, to the European nations because, you know, there's some people now, the abortion industry, seeing the writing on the wall mm-hmm. that Roe v. Wade was so poorly uh, judged. Yes. They're already starting to prepare for, and some of them I've heard them start to kind of uh, encourage the Supreme Court to, if you're going to undermine Roe v. Wade, do it in a restricted manner and just affirm the Mississippi law at 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. And that is really not sufficient because the vast majority, over 90% of abortions, take place prior to around 13 weeks. Yes. So really, we... Don't even want to think about that threshold. We want to say and very quickly affirm and strongly affirm that we need to set a new president. We've been on the bad end, you know, and the United States now needs to be on the other end of saying we're going straight to protecting life from conception. That is the the, the point of, of life beginning. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I really wish that the sort of tables would have been flipped a little bit. I wish that the heartbeat bill would have been the catalyst for all of this. That would have, I think, been a stronger position even, you know, than the Dobbs case in Mississippi. Um, I wish that that had happened, but it, but it didn't. Um, you know, I just, I, we're never going to get what we want exactly. I think, um, you know, right away. It's going to take chipping away at this thing over and over and over again. And so, 
you know, I, I, this is me talking from, you know, the pragmatic position, not the ideological. Ideologically, you're right. There is definitely a God-given, unalienable right for human life to be preserved and protected. How do we get there from our pragmatic point? Uh, is really the question and so while it's heartbreaking to know that like you know like you said even if this mississippi law where you have 15 weeks uh you know after that you can't have an abortion is codified that's a minor victory but a victory and i'll take it uh same with the heartbeat bill i think the heartbeat bill here in texas is even better than the mississippi law you know because it's the time periods move back so much further, but we do need to fight hard to get it back to where we just simply protect life. Yes. I think that is, you know, we've had to follow an approach of incrementalism up to this point, Mm -hmm. but you know, this is a generation that claims to say, let's follow the science. Yes. You know, and if we're going to follow the science, like I said, we've had 50 years of scientific progress Mm -hmm. Uh, since the time of Roe v. Wade. Right. And so now, like I said, the science tells us that life begins at conception. It does not begin at heartbeat. It does not begin when the brain waves even start. Mm-hmm. It begins at conception. That, again, is when a unique uh, human being is formed. Mm-hmm. That DNA is going to identify that unique human being from that point of conception until the day they die. Yes. It's never going to be able to be misidentified. That's that person. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad about the heartbeat bill, but even that, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we should be satisfied with that. Right. You know, chemical abortions now make up around 52% of all abortions mm-hmm. in Texas and throughout the nation. And so that is now the way that people are, are really seeking, you know, to end human life. And that can be done, you know, at an earlier stage than the surgical abortion. So really, we need to, I think, this is the time, mm-hmm. uh, grab a hold of the zeitgeist of the time. Yes. Let's follow the science. And the science says human life begins at conception. And that's why I just like to talk again about our When Does Life Begin campaign. Yes. Because, again, it does come down to having those conversations with people. It's talking. We each have a sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. And I like to remind people that, although we might pay attention to what some of the social media influencers say and Taylor Swift and LeBron and whoever it might be, <laughs> our political leaders, in the end, the people we listen to the most are our family and friends. Mm-hmm. They remain our biggest influencers. So we each need to grab a hold of the sphere of influence that we have and speak life into those folks. And so we started this When Does Life Begin campaign. You can go to Mm youranswermatters.org. There's nothing on that site that says it's a pro-life site. We just let the science do the talking. And so you'll go there, you'll answer the question, when does life begin? You know, at conception, heartbeat, all five senses in place, I'm not sure, you know, at Mm -hmm. birth. And then it opens it up to that information and those pages where we have great ultrasound videos, points of information, and folks can share that. And the great thing about social media, it doesn't have boundaries. So you can be sitting here in Texas, which maybe is a state that's going to protect life if Roe v. Wade, you know, uh, is overturned. But you might have relatives in New York, Mm -hmm. in California, in Illinois, and you can start to change the culture in those states. So I really want to encourage people to take part in that because it is that attitude change that has to occur. Other than going to there and getting, uh, I mean, that's great. But what if I want to get even more involved? 
How do I, how do I get more involved with your organization? Well, there's all kinds of things they can do. Here local, like I said, we're doing that three-pronged approach. So there's all kinds of prayer events, and, and the prayer kind of gets combined with what I call that direct care, going outside the abortion facilities. I tell people just to take a simple sign that says, we care about you, we can help. Uh, we have a health service list on our website. If you go to alifefirst.org, and there's a tab that says pregnant need help. And at the very top of that page, we list uh, have a health service list you can download. And on that list, on one side of the, of the column, there is all the area pregnancy care centers, just really an easy reference, name, website, phone number, address. On the other side, we have free and reduced costs, well, woman exam resources, STD testing. So even if they're out that abortion facility, they're not even there to get an abortion, but they're already in that culture that mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood and the other abortion facilities are promoting. You know, you can help get them out of that. So go and take part in that ministry because they've, there have been studies that have shown that when there's people outside praying, outside abortion facilities, their no-show rates go up. People see those people praying and just seeing them there, whether they ever talk to them or not, you know, they'll turn around and they'll go home. Uh, and I like to tell people, you know, you don't do a very good job helping the homeless sitting in your living room. Yeah. You got to go where the hurting people are. You got to go where those decisions are being made. And I've heard so many women tell me, you know, if I had just known there was resources to help me, I would not have made that decision. Mm -hmm. So you just go out to those facilities, go with some resources, go with a loving, caring heart, you know, going there with an attitude of love, not condemnation, Mm -hmm. you know, then those folks will have an opportunity to come across and talk to you. And again, even if they don't come across and talk to you, oftentimes, you know, just seeing you there will give them pause to rethink their decision. So that's a really important thing they can do. We also have these great five pro-life student contests, uh, starting off with the poster contest at just second and third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade. And the prompt is just every human life is beautiful. So you're not even mentioning that age, Mm -hmm. you know, about abortion or euthanasia. You're just getting that elemental understanding in those little kids that every human life is just beautiful and has so much value. Then it goes up through an essay contest with junior high, senior high division. There's a speech contest, a fine art contest we just launched about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Also has a junior high and senior high division. And then a speech contest, a video contest. Uh, because videos are so important in communicating ideas, yes. especially for Gen Z and millennials. Uh, so through those contests, you know, we're, again, equipping people to take the message of life, young people and their parents, to their sphere of influence, to get equipped to share the message in a loving manner more effectively. And, again, it really trains those contests multiple generations. I've had parents as long as, as well as the students Come and tell me, you know, after doing that contest process, I now am inspired to share the message mm. more than I was before. I now have something loving and to say, to speak to people's heads and hearts. So the contests are just a great way. And all of our contests have great cash prizes, you know, because people respond to money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what our prizes are, $1,000 for most of the contests. And even a lot of national contests only have $500 to 1000 So here for a regional contest. And our contests are open statewide so you've got an opportunity for great money and we've had so many students have come to me and said to me you know I just did the contest because I wanted that thousand dollars first prize that five hundred dollars second place but after getting involved in that contest I now know this is the central issue of our day you know I want to get involved and stay involved
Very so that's good. a great thing to get involved in. We, we've got other things too, but there's just too much. Just go to our website, lifefirst.org. Well, that was my next question too. I'm sure this, all these programs that you do cost a lot of money to get this ball rolling. How can people help? Well, love for them just to go to lifefirst.org. Mm-hmm. There is a donate button there and get involved. You know, we launched, as you mentioned, December of 2019. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Little did we know, you know, two months later, the whole world was shut down. Right. So it's been very challenging these last two years, mm-hmm. you know, establishing a whole new ministry from scratch and, and, it, and but the Lord has been faithful and he's seen us through, but we do want to expand. Uh, we've, we've established since we became our own organization, a statewide present just in these two years that we've been going. We had 31 cities, even our first year in 2021, this past school term, we opened our contents up statewide mm-hmm. cities. I never even knew the name of, didn't even know where they were students and families participating. And then of course, throughout again, our when does life begin campaign, we're having a part you know, in that national conversation that needs to take place about abortion. So, yes, please, you know, uh, we'd love anybody to get involved. Monthly donations are so important just to establish us on that solid financial footing. But one-time donations, anything they want to give would be a great help to us. Awesome. Yeah, and, you know, I I think that this conversation has been really, really good and helpful. Um, And, you know, like I said, this is – I think a lot of people, a lot of conservatives even, you know, think that, oh, Roe v. Wade's going to be overturned. All right. You know, we won the war. No, this is just, I mean, it's a major battle that we won here, uh, but it is just a battle. The war is not over yet. There's, as long as people are still out there killing the unborn um, and, you know, terminating life, we have a fight on our hands and we got to stand on the right side here and be on the side of life. And so I think it's really important that people understand that, that nuanced argument right there. And, you know, there's still going to be organizations out there just like life first. And we all need to get involved in, in this type of mission and, and work. And we need to roll up our sleeves and fight and defend every single life out there. So thank you guys for doing that because that's such an important role. And God bless everybody that's involved in your organization for all the hard work that they do and and caring for people and praying for people and and helping these women that are in in crisis uh, to, you know, make a good choice that something that isn't adding to, to you know, perhaps some trauma that they already have incurred. Oh, thank you. Again, uh, it is the moral and civic issue of our day. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no other issue with as much loss of life and yeah. suffering. You know, lives lost, but what I like to say is all the walking wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, young folks that regret the decision, parents, grandparents. And again, I do believe it's going to determine our nation's character. Yes. So, yeah, vital, vital issue that we're all uh, called to have a part in. Absolutely. Teresa, I wanted to thank you so much again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you and you know i think that this has been one of the most important conversations we've had on in polite company so far so thank you again thank you scott really appreciate all the work you're doing thank you all right so that's going to wrap us up for another episode of impolite company stay tuned uh, for more content that will be coming your way in the weeks to come um and thanks you again our uh, viewing audience is growing and we're super excited about that um, we also want to thank the Dockline Studios for providing us this wonderful space to record in, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Doc Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.